Nothing, in my opinion, is more painful for a Christian parent than to have one of their children rebel against God and against them. Uh, having observed parents who have gone through both, I am convinced that some handle the death of a child more easily than extreme rebellion on the part of a prodigal. Because in death, at least there's a sense of closure. After a parent spent years and years loving their child and hoping the best for that child, to have that child reject you and your values and reject the Lord that you worship is a hurt that goes deep. It makes you feel like a failure and you can question and doubt God. You're filled with a sense of grief that just won't go away. And so the question that I want to both ask and answer this morning on Father's Day 2019 is this. How should Christian parents respond towards children who rebel? Now the human tendency is either to withdraw emotionally in an effort to protect yourself or to get angry and lash out. I remember seeing a sign a number of years ago at a health clinic where we took our children that read, take revenge, live long enough to become a problem to your children. <laughs> you know, that may be tempting, but as Christian parents, you have to ask the question, how would God have me act in that difficult situation? And you know, even if your child hasn't gone off into the deep end of the pool of rebellion, Every parent and every grandparent has to deal with children who at times hurt us because of things they say or don't say, the things they do and the things they don't do. And so what I want to do this morning is I want us to look at a portion of Scripture where Jesus tells the story about a son who rebelled and how the father responded. And what's interesting about this parable is change a detail or two and it's as current as the 21st century. Let me point out the obvious to begin with, and that is the context of this parable is that the Father represents God and his rep response towards repentant sinners. You know, the Bible repeatedly calls God our Father and us his children. And so one of the basic all-encompassing principles of Christian parenting is that I am to relate to my child the way God relates to me. And as such, as you go through Scripture, all, every story that's found there is a manual on how we are to raise our children because it reveals things about God, what God is like, and how he relates to his children For the benefit of the frost and my wife, who will fall asleep in just about two minutes, here's this morning's takeaway. Hurting parents must demonstrate God's love and forgiveness to their children. That's it, in a nutshell. Let's give the benediction. No. Hurting parents must demonstrate God's love and forgiveness to their children. You know, it's interesting that this parable doesn't tell us how to discipline our children. 
It teaches us how to love and forgive our children. And let me just add a thought because I mentioned discipline. It's my experience that many, many parents, Christian parents, far too many of Christian parents, are heavy and long on discipline, but they fall short on showing love and grace to their kiddos. Now please understand, I am not diminishing the need for consistent, even-handed discipline. But I wrote this down last night as I was reviewing this. My regrets as a parent are not over the times I was too lenient with my children, but over the times I was far too strict and harsh of a disciplinarian. I can remember those occasions when I just didn't handle it well. And I asked for forgiveness of my kids, and they've been gracious enough to forgive. And they say, Dad, you don't need to bring it up anymore. You know, we all make mistakes. Now that they're parents, it's even comeback time. But you know, one of the things I think we need to do as parents is we need to cut our kids some slack. We need to give them a break. Now, when children disobey, they need to be disciplined. But love must be at the foundation and the atmosphere that surrounds that disciplined. And when children feel loved and then are disciplined, they will respond most readily to that discipline. I mean, think about this. God's love and grace are the greatest motivation for our obedience. I hope you don't serve and worship and are obedient to God because if you get out of line, he's going to slap you silly. I hope you do it out of a sense of gratitude and thanksgiving. Realize the, the depths of, of sin that you were in and how God delivered you from it. And if there's one thing that we as parents need to do is we want our children to know that God is a gracious, loving, caring God. And we want to make sure that they see that love and care and mercy and forgiveness demonstrated in our lives towards them. Now what I want to do in the time that remains is I want to just look at the high points of this story as it relates to dealing with a rebel. A rebel. And to really love and appreciate this parable and to see the, lo the love that the father has for this son and the forgiveness that he gives to this child, we also have to talk about the hurt that was the father's. You know, every parent here this morning begins with expectations for their children. We want all of our children and grandchildren to grow up embracing our values. We want them to become a contributing member to society, but also to the cause of Christ. And the pain runs deep when that child rebels. And I think what you see in this father is, is a hurting dad. And I think you see it in three primary areas. First of all, there was the pain of rejection. The pain of rejection. There was the rejection of his person. Look at what the son says in, in verse 12. He says, the younger one came to his dad and he said, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, when he said that, what he was saying is, I want my share of the inheritance 
now. Dad, I wish you were dead. The behavior of this son was rude, it was boorish, it was offensive, it was impolite, it was shocking. For a son to come to his dad with that kind of a request was the son saying, I don't really care about you, dad. All I want is your money. Give it to me now and I'll get out of your hair and you can get out of mine. You can go on living your life the way you want it to be lived and I can go out and do what I want to do. Dr. Kenneth Bailey, who studied this parable for over 20 years and lived in the Near East and studied that culture, said that there is not one example in history of a son asking for his inheritance, inheritance before his father's death. This was a huge rejection on the part of this son to his father. But there was also the rejection on the part of this son of his heritage. In that agrarian culture in which this parable was told and set, the family land was passed down from father to son, from one generation to another. And at the time of the father's death, he would divide up the land and the prodigal would, would then get his portion and the other son would get his. But in this case, the son doesn't want to wait he wants to sell off that portion of land that was his, and he wants the cash. Back then, you didn't have a lot of money in your pocket. Your wealth was in your land. And so what this son was requesting was unheard of in that society. It was a public disgrace. The boy was saying, I don't want to be associated with, with this family any longer. I don't want to stay here under, under your authority. I want to raise my family away from you. I want nothing to do with my family's heritage. There's also the rejection of his values. You know, it's pretty obvious that as you read this story, when, when this boy left and went to that distant country, he didn't go there and join the local synagogue. He didn't model his life after that of his father. Instead, he squandered his estate, it says in verse 13, with Loose living. He got the bachelor pad and he lived the playboy lifestyle. And as long as he had money, he had friends. They were hopping on the gravy train. He wasn't following the Lord. And that, that just had to eat away at this father like a cancer. The father felt the pain of rejection. But you know, there was also the pain of humiliation. Things like this don't happen in, in secret, especially in a small town. I, I lived in a small town for a while in North Dakota. And trust me, in a small town, people know everything. As soon as this boy tried to sell off the family's property, it would have been known all over town. And everybody was shocked at the brazen attitude of this son towards his dad and his callous disregard for the family's property. You know, some, no doubt, not knowing all of the details, may have criticized the father for permitting this to happen. They may have said, well, well that just goes to show he, he really didn't raise his boy properly. And probably every time this dad went to church or into town or to the marketplace to sell his goods, 
He would have to endure the whispers and the stares of others. And let me just add this thought, even to receive the sympathy of those who were more understanding would have been humiliating. You know, one of the things that I've observed through the years is sometimes when, when things happen to families, sometimes in a church, even though the church can be very loving, very accepting, sometimes people just feel the need for a fresh start. And I'm sure that this dad felt that way. I think thirdly, there was the pain of guilt. Friend, any time a, a son or a daughter rebels and goes astray, there's a degree of guilt on the part of the parent. They can dwell on the past and they can think of all of the mistakes they made in the parenting process. But you know, a very important point and perspective is this. Remember what I said this parable was about? The father represents God. God is a perfect father. And even God has wayward children. And yet he's not a failure as a parent. Parental training and influence are major factors in a child's life, but they still make their own choices. And sometimes when they get out from under parental authority, or even when they're under parental authority, they can still be bombarded with the world, the flesh, and the devil, so that even children from a model Christian home can easily fall into terrible sin. Godly parents who, to the best of their ability, sought to raise their children in the faith can still have children who turn away. Now, I, I do believe that that will be the exception rather than the rule, but it can and does happen. Please don't misinterpret Proverbs 22.6. You know, so many people look at that as sort of an ironclad promise. You know, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. And that proverb is not a guarantee that if you train them properly, they will follow the Lord. And so what happens oftentimes when people understand it that way, and their children go astray, they begin to blame themselves. Proverbs are not ironclad promises, but they state general maxims about life. What's more, that, that proverb, train up a child in the way he should go, simply means become a student of your child and train your child according to the bent and the personality that is that child's. Connie and I raised four of them, and it's amazing that we had four kiddos. They all dropped out of the same chute, and guess what? They were all as different as night and day. And we had to become students of Douglas versus David. And how we treated Darcy was far, far different than how we treated the boys. That's what that proverb is saying. You know, train up a child in the way he should go. Become a student of your child. It's not a guaranteed promise. And one of the things that I think the church needs to do is we need to make sure we help hurting parents to deal biblically with that area of hurt in their life. You know, there's something else easily overlooked, and that, that is that the father in this parable wasn't hurt just by the youngest son. He was also hurt by his oldest son. You know, as you come to the end of this parable, you discover that he refused to come into the celebration for his younger brother. His dad had to go out and get him and plead with him to come in. 
And, and then as you read that dialogue that takes place between that father and son, I think the son was flat out rude and disrespectful. He accuses dad of being unfair and even implicates the father in the actions of the prodigal. That had to have broke his heart. But here's what I want us to see. In spite of the older son's imprudence and the younger son's selfish wickedness, what does the father do? He acts in love and grace and forgiveness towards them both. Though hurting, this father was loving and ready to forgive. Let's talk about that love that is displayed in this parable. Let me suggest seven things about that love. And again, we've listed them there in the outline for you so you can go home and you can just read this over and study it on your own. But the first thing I want you to notice about this, Dad, is there was relinquishment without rejection. In other words, the father let the prodigal son go. So his wild oats, but he never rejected the son. I think in his hurt, when that son came to him, he could have said, well, look, I'll give you your inheritance. But if you take it, you're out of here forever. Son, I don't want to see your face again. I find here a father who allowed an adult son to make a poor decision without rejecting the son for that decision. Now, obviously, the younger the child, the more parents need to exercise control over their child's choices. But as the child nears adulthood, the parent is not acting in love if he refuses to let that child go and make his own choices. Friend, there is nothing more pathetic than to see an adult child incapable of making a decision. You got to give your children choices. From the time children are old enough to know right from wrong, parents need to be instilling in them the fact that they must answer to God for their moral decisions. And if you love your child, you'll relinquish control of that child as they're launched out into the world. I think, secondly, I see a father's love that is expressed in a deep, deep concern for that son. I've always loved the fact that the father was constantly scanning the horizon for his son to return. You see that in verse 20. This boy had wronged his dad. And yet his dad still cared deeply for that son. He didn't protect his hurt feelings by hardening his heart. A self-focused father would have said, after what he's done to me, I, don't, I, I couldn't care less. What happens to that ungrateful boy, let it happen. Let him reap what he sows. But you know what this father says? I couldn't care more. Let me suggest thirdly, this father's love was full of heartfelt compassion. I love the fact that when this dad saw his boy in rags coming down the road, over the horizon, his bare feet bloodied from the journey, 
smelling like the pigsty where he had worked. The father didn't look at the boy and say, how disgusting. Serves you right, Junior. I told you so. Go clean up and dress properly, and then you can come home. No, he felt compassion towards that son. He hurt with his son. Let me suggest, fourthly, his love for that son was expressed in outward affection. I love the fact that the father ran toward him, he embraced him, and he kissed, kissed him repeatedly. He didn't even know if the son had repented. I'm sure it was pretty obvious as he saw him. You know, he didn't come rolling down in, you know, in a four-horse chariot, you know, showing off to his dad how well he had done. He returned a broken young man. And the father's love is gushed out upon him in a demonstration of physical affection. And he could have waited until the boy was all the way there and see whether or not he had truly been repentant. And he asked him some questions, sort of given him an icy stare and said, So, you came back, huh? Ran into a few problems out there in the real world, huh? No. You know what this dad does? He runs to him. And he openly shows his son his love. Let me just put this on the bottom level. Dads, don't hesitate to show physical affection toward your sons as they grow older. When they leave the house, don't be afraid to hug them. Kiss them on the cheek. I know they don't shave like they should and there's always a lot of stubble and it's not the most nicest feeling in the world. I don't know what women see in that stubble look, but hey, to each his own. But embrace your children. Love them physically. Let me suggest number five, there was unaffected humility. You know, in that culture, it was disgraceful for an older man to run. To run in a robe required that man to pull up that robe in an undignified manner and to run. But you know what? This dad didn't care what other people thought. He valued his son more than he cared about what other people thought about him. And when he sees his son, he ran. And nothing's more humorous than to see an old guy try to run. It's kind of like seeing me go up and down these stairs. By the way... Just for the record, I want it on the record, this trip convinced me to go to the doctor tomorrow or at least call and make an appointment and try to get my knee replaced. So it's, oh, please, come on, come on. <laughs> Carol Culberson said every time I go up the stairs, she's afraid I'm going to fall someday. So we'll get it, back, get it fixed. Number six, there was undeserved generosity. I love that. You know what this daddy did? He brought out the best robe, a ring, and sandals. He killed the fatted calf. That's not what the boy deserved. Boy deserved sea rations. He'd already wasted his share of the inheritance. 
But you know what this was? This was pure, unadulterated grace. And, and then he shows that same kind of grace to his other son. Because when he's having that dialogue with him as the son is griping and complaining about his dad was treating the younger son, the dad says in verse 31, he says, Son, all that is mine is yours. Here's a, a generous man, a loving man, a giving man, who gives out undeserved generosity to his son. Now I have to say we need to balance that out with tough love on occasion. We need to make sure that we're not enabling that child in their rebellion. Grace does not abrogate the principle of sowing and reaping. And in this case, the prodigal had to hit rock bottom before he came to his senses. And our children ought to be able to understand God's grace because they've seen us being gracious towards them. Let me ask you, parents, are you gracious with your kids as God is with you? Are you as patient with your grandchildren? as God is patient with you? That's too convicting. Let's move on. Number seven. There was undeserved acceptance. Amazing. This boy is not put on probation. He wasn't accepted into the home if he met certain conditions and maintained a certain standard of behavior. This father, although hurt deeply, loved his son totally. And that's how God demonstrates his love toward us. And that's how we ought to demonstrate our love towards our children. But you know, not only did this father demonstrate love towards his son, he also demonstrated a readiness and an eagerness to forgive. The boy could not experience or receive the father's forgiveness until he repented. The problem was on the part of the boy, not the dad. But as soon as the son showed genuine repentance, what did the dad do? He was ready and eager to forgive that son at first sight. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't going to make the boy pay for what he had done. Let me just point out seven points, seven aspects of his forgiveness. First of all, it was immediate. It was immediate. Making someone earn forgiveness over time is not forgiveness. Making someone pay for forgiveness is not forgiveness. To say I'll forgive that boy when I'm good and ready and not before is not to forgive. Forgiveness is to be immediate. It is a decisive action. Second, it was total. He didn't leave this boy hanging. He didn't leave him burdened with the thinking, well, I'm, I'm never going to be able to live this down. He forgave him totally once and for all and then it was over. Thirdly, it was forgotten. It was put away. This dad didn't keep a, a ledger, you know, a little book where he pulled it out and when the son was stepping out of line a little bit, said, now son, remember what happened back then? He didn't keep a ledger of the boy's wrong in reserve to use as ammunition in a later disagreement. Obviously, the dad couldn't erase it from his memory, but he never dredged it up again. 
He didn't hold it over his head. I love the story of Clara Barton, who was the founder of the American Red Cross. A number of years prior to this conversation with this woman, there was someone who had been cruel to her and said some mean and ugly things about her. And this person recalled it to Clara Barton. And she said, well, don't you remember that? And Clara Barton said, I distinctly and intentionally remember forgetting it. Friend, that's how we're to behave. I think, fourthly, we need to see that forgiveness sometimes is costly. Forgiveness always costs. When you forgive, you bear the cost of what the other person did, and that person goes free. When he bears the cost, it's justice. If you bear the cost, it's forgiveness. And I love the fact that this dad didn't have a martyr's complex. He didn't say, now, son, look what you put me through. You broke the heart of your mother. Look how much I hurt. Look how much she hurts. And no doubt she did. He simply absorbed the son's wrong. Fifthly, it was restorative. The son was restored to the full privileges of sonship. Forgiveness means full restoration. Number six, it wasn't a forgiveness that consisted of the guilt-blame approach. You know, too many people, when it comes to this whole issue of dealing with other people, they sort of establish a, cork, a scorecard of guilt and blame. This father didn't do that. He, he truly forgave his son. And finally, it was active, not just passive. It was active, not passive. Passive forgiveness says, okay, I'll let bygones be bygones, but it stops there. And they never reestablish the connection, the relationship that is to be there. Active forgiveness adds kindness to forgiveness. It brings out the best robe, the ring, the sandals, and it kills the fatted calf. Now friend, I know that I have given you more than enough material. But here's what I want you to see. This is what I want you to come away with. Even though both sons hurt their father, he demonstrated the gracious love of God towards those boys. Both sons wronged the dad. But the father was willing to forgive them quickly and totally. Now, here's the question. And it's not a complicated one. Do I demonstrate this kind of love and forgiveness towards my children? Have my kids gained an idea of what God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness is like by the way I've treated them? Joe Bailey was a gentle and godly Christian leader. He and his wife had seven children, two of whom died early in childhood, with the third dying at the age of 19. And I think in part because of those losses, one of their sons became angry at God and rebelled. Joe Bailey and his boys were living back in the days of the hippie movement, 
And this boy grew his hair long and moved into a communal flop house. Late one night, Bailey received a call informing him that his son was being held in one of Chicago's police stations. And so he got out of bed, got dressed, and went down to the station and inquired about his son. They had no record of him being there. And so he thought, well, maybe I've gone to the wrong police station. So he sort of made the rounds in that area. Before he realized that the call had been a prank. It was two o'clock in the morning. And because Bailey was near the flop house where his son was living, he decided that he would go there. The door was always unlocked, and so he went in. He stepped over several sleeping bodies that were strewn out on the floor, and he found his son asleep on a bed. And he looked at his son. And he gently bent over and he kissed his son on the cheek before he went home that night. When Bailey told that story, he said that his son was now a pastor. And by the way, all of his sons are pastors. But years later, the young man told his father, Dad, Dad, do you know what turned me around? And Bailey said, no, son. And his son said, Dad, it was that night you came into my room and kissed me. You thought I was asleep, but I wasn't. And I thought to myself, if my dad loves me that much, I need to get right with God. I I don't know where you are. This message isn't intended for anyone in particular, believe me. But if your children have proven to be a disappointment, let me encourage you to just hang in there. And continue to show them God's abundant love and mercy. Because through the love that you show towards your children, they're going to be able to see God's love. That God's love is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Now there's one more point I want to make, and it's this. It may be that as we've looked at this parable, you didn't find yourself identifying with that father. You found yourself identifying with that rebellious son. And you're not living for God as you should. And you need to know that right today, on Father's Day, 2019, God stands ready to pour his love and forgiveness out on you. God, like a father, is eagerly watching for you to return to him in repentance. And to just acknowledge the fact that you've been in rebellion and you want to get right with God. And when you do that, God is going to run towards you. He's going to embrace you. He's going to kiss you. He's going to lavishly welcome you home. And he's going to forgive all of your past failures. Friend, that's the kind of loving, gracious, merciful God that we serve. And that's the kind of father and mother we are to be towards our children. Let's pray.
Father, thank you again for this wonderful, wonderful parable that was told. As I mentioned, change a detail or two, and it's the story of a modern-day home. And I pray, Lord, that if there are any hurting parents here this morning, that you would envelop them in your love and your grace, and that you would give them the strength to stand at the ready when that son or daughter hits rock bottom, as they will, And when they come to their senses, and when that parent sees that child on the horizon coming home, coming home, that, Father, they would welcome that child with open arms. It may be costly. It may be difficult. That hurt may still be there for a while. But I pray, Father, that by your grace, your strength, and your mercy, we would show that kind of love towards our children. I pray that these truths would now be sealed to our hearts and by your strength and enablement applied to our lives. And we pray towards that end in Jesus' name. Everybody agreed and said, Amen.